turn with me to Acts chapter 28. This is the final chapter in the book of Acts. We will be two weeks in this last chapter, and then we will begin study on the book of Isaiah. So again, I encourage you to begin reading and studying through that book on your own. We'll be looking at the first ten verses of Acts 28 today. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Lord Jesus, as we come to you this morning and we come to your word, we pray that you would help us as we have been studying and reading of this journey that Paul has taken to Rome over the past few weeks. Sometimes this can just seem like a long, drawn-out narrative that serves no real spiritual purpose in our lives. But these are your words, and these are your words to instruct your people. And so, Lord, help us to see it as such. These are the words of life that we would not depart from them. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to hear your word, convict us of our sin, lead us to the truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I read through this passage, it reminded me of a situation when I was a young uh, minister, very young, 24 um, and where we were there at the time, it's about, I don't know, it's been a while now, 16 years, it's hard to believe. So we, was at, we were at church, it was in the morning before church began, and we had Sunday school first, and then we had worship, and so there was this interim period between the two where people would kind of gather and drink coffee and that sort of thing out in the hallway, uh, right outside the sanctuary. And we were sitting there <clears throat> talking, and all of a sudden this man walks through the door and he was a Mexican man and he walked through the door and he looked a bit distraught and he looked a bit uncomfortable and he kind of came up to us and didn't say anything or didn't really motion or anything he just kind of looked just kind of sat there and he was looking like he needed something and you can imagine this group of people just kind of part and uh, began, and this man began speaking in Spanish, and no one there knew what he was saying. I spoke to the man. I tried to speak to him, uh, told him that I did not understand him, but I wanted to help him, and he didn't understand me because he said he smiled at me, but he said no English, and he continued to look like he needed something. Everyone was standing around, and then immediately, just kind of like they were, it was on cue, just kind of turned around and started having their previous conversations again as if the man was not standing there. Here I am, 24-year-old kid, not really knowing what to do, not having the skills to help him, kind of feeling at a loss. I think so many times in our own situations we may feel just like that. We want to help the needs that we see around us, but we feel ill-equipped to take on the task to do so. We don't feel like we're able to help, even if we wanted to. In our text today, we're going to see examples of people giving and receiving help. And I think they serve as good examples for us in the church. Many times we are slow to help, likely because we see the needs as too difficult, many times because we see our own comfort as paramount to getting our hands dirty. So as we look at the text today, we're going to consider the two main ideas, the common grace of kindness and the special grace of of a Savior. 
And so with that, we'll look at Acts 28, verses 1 through 10. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. (coughs) Acts 28, starting at verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed an unusual kindness, for they they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius laid sick with fever and dysentery. But Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when, he had, when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just a quick review and some background of where we're at in the text. So remember, last week, Paul and his fellow prisoners, his friends, and all a bunch of Roman soldiers and crewmen of the ship were stranded in the Adriatic Sea because of some storms that blew them off course. And eventually, the boat ran aground and was broken up by the waves. Remember, Paul said that we will all be safe, we will all come through this, and that's exactly what happened. All 276 passengers of the boat boat were saved and accounted for. And though Paul did foretell the events, he did not bring them to pass. It was a gracious God of the storm, the God of the shipwreck, the one who set the events in motion and carried each one of them through. He was the hero of the story that we talked about last week. And they landed on this island called Malta, a very small island, about 60 miles south of Sicily. If you can kind of imagine a map of of Europe in your head, the the boot of Italy, and there's Sicily right underneath the boot, and then right underneath that is this tiny little island called Malta. It's really about only 200 miles away from the north coast of Africa, so it kind of gives you an idea of where they're at. Malta had originally been settled by the Phoenicians, who were a sailing civilization there in the Mediterranean, about a thousand years before this event took place. But of course, they were taken over by the Romans. Rome had a presence on the island, as we read, but as usual, they allowed the natives to retain their own culture. And so what you end up with is some Phoenician culture with hints of Rome mixed in, and you kind of see that coming out in the text. Another word, just quickly on the people of Malta, the text here in English, verse 2, says the native people. You probably have a little subscript there or or superscript there for your Bible for you to look at, and you see that the Greek is barbaroi, 
or which is just a, another word of barbaros or sounds like the word barbarian. The King James probably has the right of it. It calls the people the barbarous people. Interesting way of thinking about that. Luke referred to the people of Malta as barbarians, not because they were reckless and brutish and carried axes and swords and what we normally think of like, you know, Conan or something running all on the island. Not what we think of as barbarians at all. The word barbaros was just used to denote someone who did not speak Greek or Latin. Someone who was not civilized in their minds. And so they get on this island, they realize the people aren't speaking their language, and they call them barbarians. So it's not like they happened upon an island nation of savages or anything like that. They just landed in a place where they probably didn't speak the same language that Luke did. A few did. Luke had a very good handle on the languages of the day. And so these people may have had broken Greek or Latin But they were there to help, as we see. They were far from savages. That brings me to the first point, the common grace of kindness. Verses 1 and 2. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed an unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. So you can kind of imagine this picture. Here you are on this tiny little island, I mean really small island, like eight miles wide at its widest point, I think. And there's this giant ship, this giant Roman ship, and a Roman ship wouldn't have been an odd thing for the people of Malta, but it's broken up off the coast, and little by little you have this constant stream of men swimming ashore, constant, 276 people. Until there's basically just this small army sitting on the beach. Pretty crazy. All of them wet, covered with the foam of the sea, the seaweed, standing there. And here are the Maltese people to greet them. Luke says that they showed an unusual kindness, or the the original, no ordinary kindness. Why would they do this? Who are these people? Did they stumble upon a group of Christians? You know, Christians, as Christians, we're supposed to treat other people nicely. No. These are pagans. And they use a, another god there. You can see there in verse 4. They, they say, well, obviously this other god didn't deal with him. They're pagans. So why did they help? Because God keeps his promises. What's the promise? Not only that Paul would live... And that when he would go to Rome, but all the men aboard would live as well. Did he seek, simply keep his promise of getting them to shore? Yes, you're going to make it through the shipwreck. No, he didn't just simply keep his promise. The blessings did not stop there. They continued through the means of this strange people lending aid to a small army who just happened to wash ashore, who didn't deserve it. I mean, imagine just 40 people showing up in your front yard and they all need help at the same time. It would be a little overwhelming. And that's what they did. They helped them. These people didn't deserve it, but the Maltese people helped them anyway. They received this help. I think it's definitely some things for us to grab a hold of here. First, many times as we're doing ministry in a lost world, 
we will definitely find people who are just as morally upstanding as we are. In fact, if we're honest, many times we're going to find people who are probably better people than we are, at least as the world defines good. You know, you think about the world's definition of good. You do good things for somebody, therefore you're a good person. I have met people who are better people than me. Easy. They feed the poor. They provide aid to the sick. They shelter the homeless. They're good husbands. They're good, they're good wives. They're good parents. They're honest workers. Good citizens. One thing that you'll always hear me say about these people, the world isn't looking for our version of morality. The Maltese people did not need Paul to wash ashore to teach them how to be nice. They already knew how to be nice. We see that right here. They were nice as soon as they washed ashore. Many times they're going to have a morality that passes our own. Many times we're going to stand around like the people before our church service that I told the story about. We don't know how to help, so we just turn back to our conversation. We hope the problem goes away. Many times it's the pagans of the world who are quick to offer aid. To help to the destitute. So as far as morality is concerned, many times as the church, we have a lot to learn. So it's not our morality that the lost people need. They need Jesus. And we have to understand that. That is not the difference between us and them. That was not the difference between Paul and these Maltese people. They were good folks. They helped a bunch of strangers. They're good in spite of themselves. Because the gracious Lord of creation doesn't allow people to be as evil as they could be. He uses the law. What do we know about the law? The law is written upon the hearts of every man and woman. They know what is good. And they act that way because the Lord is gracious to them. He has written the law on their hearts. He restrains evil. He teaches good. So that when idol worshippers see shipwrecked men washing ashore, they help because that's what people usually do. They don't need our morality. They need Jesus. They need to hear that their hearts are desperately sick. Even though the Lord is somehow restraining them as evil as they could be, or they're not as evil as they could be. As we are those who minister many times, we can forget that our morality is only worth so much. In fact... The sum of our immorality is equated to filthy rags in the book of Isaiah. They don't need that. They need the words of the gospel. And though we don't read about Paul preaching while he was on that island, we can rest assured that whatever ministry he partook of while he was there was accompanied by the gospel. And now, just a bit on this snake here that we see that everyone's really interested in, the snake, because... It's just something that we have to talk about. Look at verses 3 through 6. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So, however, he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And I, I love this. I can just kind of see this verse taking place. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. They're just kind of standing there 
counting. All right, here he goes. Here he goes. They're watching, waiting for him to fall down. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune came to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So Paul went from murderer to god in just a few minutes of the Maltese people watching him. I'm sure he was thrilled that they changed their minds. So you have this snake that's in the, this bundle of sticks. It's probably freezing cold. If you kind of imagine what's going on here, they're on this beach. There's all this wood that is washed up. Maybe the snake was in the wood. Maybe not. But it's probably cold. It's not going to move a whole lot. Reptiles don't. Their behavior and their body temperatures are linked together. So they often get in the shade of the sun to control their temperature. Sometimes they get stuck and they can't. And this is the case what we see here. So all of a sudden, this snake begins to warm up with the fire. And it's probably panicked as well. Sees Paul, bites Paul, because that's what snakes do when they get panicked. They have one weapon, and it's their mouth. And so it did that. had nothing to do against Paul. It just bit him. And you can get this vivid picture. It's fastened to his hand. And the people see the creature hanging from his hand. And Paul kind of shakes it off and throws it into the fire. The natives just knew that he was a goner. They were waiting for him to swell up and die, and, they just, and they, he didn't. <clears throat> and then they, they mention, though he has escaped from the sea, justice does not allow him to live. And justice may be capitalized in your Bible, as it is in mine. The reason for that is because there's a mention of a Greek god here, or goddess as it were. You're probably familiar with the three sisters called the Fates. And the Fates decided the length of a person's life in their their, uh, mythos. And justice was one of their tools. They would send out the goddess Justice to deal with people if they needed that. And Justice would strike them dead at the time that they said, you need to go strike this person dead. And so Paul had somehow escaped the grasp of justice in the sea, but now justice was catching up with him and he found a snake in the bundle of wood. And so they found, they, they had just assumed that, you know, justice has finally caught up with him. That, in fact, wasn't the case at all. Where did the snake come from? Who was controlling the snake? Well, the only real God was controlling that that snake was there and it bit him at that particular time. And that God wasn't dispensing his justice at all, but instead was again demonstrating that he keeps his promises. Everyone who saw that saw Paul get bit by the snake. Paul noticed he didn't seem to care at all. He just shook it off and continued about building the fire. Everyone there was waiting for him to die, but instead he didn't. And this set up an opportunity for Paul to minister to the people of the island. And as Todd read from the end of the book of Mark today, and you're probably familiar with that, Mark 16 is extended in some English Bibles, and many Bibles have this section of them. Turn turn to Mark 16. You can look at it in your own Bible. I think it's important. There are several places in the, in the New Testament that you see this sort of thing. And most English translations end at verse 8. 
but some of them continue on, and it may say some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 9 through 20. And this is where you have this other thing. And, and in 9 through 20, you have the verses that have them, verse 18, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Some have said, well, look, Paul did the thing that Mark said he could do, and that's uh, case in point. Well, we, maybe we should do this. Some have even gone so far as to handle snakes in their church services as an act of worship. And we kind of laugh it off, and it's even used as a funny euphemism to talk about people who do silly things at church. Well, it probably speaks for itself. The Scripture nowhere states that we should handle snakes in worship nor does it suggest that snakes can't kill true Christians at all. That's not at all what's going on here. Uh, the long ending of Mark was probably a later edition. Maybe it should be there, maybe it shouldn't. And I'm, this isn't the place to argue that. But even if it should, Paul is not shouldn't use those words to say, okay, I'm safe now because this is what it says. No, this is just a sign of Paul's apostleship of God's plan not a mandate for us to go find snakes at all. I think if we can go, to, we can talk more about this in Sunday school if we need to. Um, our own state, actually, Kentucky, is probably in Tennessee have more of this than most. And so, if this is something that you'd like to discuss, we can. But um, yeah, this is definitely not a mandate for us to be handling snakes or anything like that. And that brings me to the second point: is the special grace of a savior. Verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. This man that was named Publius, he was the Roman governor of the island and he entertained Paul and the rest of them for three days. Kind of get the idea that, well, if you read verse 11, you know that they're going to be there for three months. And so maybe for three days they have this extended camp or something like that so the governor can help them prepare for their longer stay that's going to be going on. But he saw to their needs. And then he let them in on a need of his own, starting with his own father. He talks about how his father lay sick with fever and dysentery, verse 8. And he invited Paul in to pray for him. Luke just calls this fever and dysentery, but there's a documented disease actually on Malta that was caused by a pathogen in the goat milk there, and it causes fever. It was called gastric fever, lots of stomach problems. Dysentery, of course, would have been related to this, probably also to just the unsanitary conditions of the time. And so suffice it to say, lots of folks on the island, not just the father of this governor, but lots of folks on the island were sick with this fever. Even though they had offered to make their guests comfortable, they were uncomfortable themselves. So Paul offered something that only he could. He healed them with prayers and his touch. And again, this is signifying the Lord's power working in him. He, His office of the apostle was special. It's not something that's currently offered today. The Lord's desire to see His own Word go out, to be shown to the people of the world during this time. 
Paul was able to heal people just by touching them, by praying over them. Not only did he heal Publius' father, but he also healed many on the island who came to him. And so you can kind of get this picture of during the three months that they were there, they were really establishing a very close relationship with the people that were on this island. So much so, in verse 10, they also honored us greatly. And we were about to, when we were about to sell, they put on board whatever we needed. And so there was a real close relationship that was, that was going on here between these people. So what a great picture of what it means to serve with the gifts that we've been given. Sure, we may want to look at this and think, okay, this is obviously a mandate for me to go and pray over people and heal them. That's not what's going on here. That's an apostle thing. There aren't any more apostles. Um, that was a special thing for that time when revelation of God was going forth. Those things are closed now. We have all of God's revelation. These types of healings have probably ceased. That doesn't mean that God doesn't heal folks, and I think that's important for us to see. Obviously, he heals people, but it does mean that your gift is something else. Not the gift of healing, but the gift of something else. And how, then, are you using that gift or gifts that God has given you to reach the people for the gospel? We don't read that Paul did a lot of preaching here. We don't know. We won't assume that he did, but it is likely that he did. Paul didn't go very many places without preaching the gospel. But when we read, what we do read is the relationship that they had with the people of Malta. It was a very good one. The people of God were good to the people of Malta. And because the people of Malta were good to their guests, even though they were pagans, reminds me of a story in the Gospel of Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43. Not so much a story, but rather part of Jesus' sermon. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew verse chapter 5, starting at verse 43. <clears throat> you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So why do we love others? Why do we even love the unbeliever unbeliever who are enemies of God? Because of the love that was first shown to us in Christ Jesus. In Romans 5, we read that even while we were yet enemies of God, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why did Paul love the Maltese the way that he did? Because Christ first loved him. That's why. And he commands us 
To do what in this kind of love? As we love our enemies. Verse 48 of Matthew 5. You therefore must be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. He commands us to be perfect and we can't. Yet He loves us anyway. Why does He do that? Because He was perfect for us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. So how can we stand around and pretend that there aren't needs when we have been given so much in return? We can't do that. We can't stand around and pretend that there aren't needs when we have been given so much. May we be a people who give in a way so much as in the way that has been given to us. And that brings me to my story. I'll finish it. I sat there uncomfortable, 24-year-old, not really knowing much about life, barely even able to complete sentences in English, much less speak another language. And here I am with this Mexican man, uncomfortable, not knowing what to do. Then I remembered there was a couple that had just joined our church, actually, that did mission work in Mexico for years. And so I went and found them and brought them in to help this man. And they began speaking to each other. And apparently the man hadn't eaten in days. So we fed him. It was a very easy need. Something that all I had to do was go find the right person that could serve that need. And we were, we were able to meet it perfectly. When the right gift was located, it was a simple thing to do. So let me encourage you, as we transition in the coming months to our new location, as we think about how we can serve our new neighborhood, what gifts do you have that you can serve with? What gifts do we need as a church? As you look around, we need someone who can do this. We need someone who can do that. Let's talk about it. Pray that God would send that to us. That he would send people to us that are able to help us serve in this new neighborhood that we're going to be going into. Let us be a people who are always looking around for ways to serve others. Just like we have been served so abundantly in Christ. It will ultimately lead to ways that we can show and tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we... See in your word a very clear picture of people helping each other. We know that ultimately this is because you are good. Because you caused that to be. Because you were first good to us. And now we can go be good to others. And so Lord we pray that you would help us to do that. That we would not stand around idly by pretending not to see the problems that are around us. But that we would embrace them. We would get our hands dirty if need be. That we would find others who would help us also. That people would know that you are the one true Savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen.